Welcome back, Warriors. Tansei Sego, Anibuju, Kuenin Deluisi Pampometer, and I'm the host of this show, The Warrior Life. This podcast is a show about living the warrior life, a lifestyle that focuses on decolonizing our minds, bodies, and spirits while at the same time revitalizing our cultures, traditions, laws, and governing practices. It's also about asserting, living, and defending our sovereignty all over Turtle Island. And there are many of us involved in this work in many levels, different things at different times. But one of the most exciting groups of people that I just love to hear from are the youth and people working with the youth. Because ultimately, that's how I got involved in everything Indigenous, was my family taking me along as I was a youth and making sure that we're including everybody in all of this. So this month, I'm trying to focus on Indigenous youth in a whole bunch of contexts, including the urban context and from all different groups, First Nations, Inuit, Métis, doing amazing things. And today's guest is someone that you are going to know already. I won't even have to introduce. Her name is Gabrielle Fayant. She is amazing. She is this powerhouse Métis youth who is now an adult still focused on helping Indigenous youth all over and in all contexts, especially the urban context. This is definitely a scenario where people don't get enough attention on either the urban context or the youth. And I'm so glad to have her on this podcast today. I could spend an hour describing her, but we're going to let her get into that. But you need to know, not only is she a CEO, but she's also a blogger, a speaker, a program coordinator, and a hundred other things, as if that wasn't enough to do in a 24-hour day period. Welcome to the show, Gabby. <laughs> Thanks, Pam. Uh, so, Tante Gabby Nitsukason. Pukjahanse Otsenia, Ani Bojo, Mishen Dengue, Unquat Quendish Nakaz, Pukjahanse and Don Jiba, Omamawene Nishnabe, King and Donji, Makwando Dam, Machif and Dao, Otipamasawak and Dao, A7G and Donoki. Um, so hi everyone, my name is Gabrielle Fayant. Most people know me as Gabby. Um, I'm originally from Alberta. My family comes from Fishing Lake Métis Settlement. Um, and so just so you know, the settlements are eight land-based communities in mainly um, Northern Alberta. And um, I'm really proud to come from the settlements and we have such a rich history and culture. Um, I can get into that later. Uh, what else did I say? Um, I, I currently live here in uh, traditional unceded, unsurrendered Algonquin territory. Um, and uh, like, yeah, so I'm from Fishing, Fishing Lake Métis Settlement. So therefore I'm, I identify as a Métis woman. Um, and uh, yeah, A7G is our youth organization um, that we started here in, in Algonquin Territory, also known as Ottawa. And um, it's definitely urban based. <laughs> it's like just connecting all, all Indigenous youth in this, this urban jungle that we can find um, and just giving them opportunities, sharing opportunities. And the thing about urban settings is that we're all from different places. It's really, really unique, especially here in Algonquin territory. Um, it's definitely been like a meeting place for thousands of years. And so there's definitely Algonquin folks that we work with, as well as Ojibwe, Cree, Odawa, Potawatomi, Mi'kmaq, um, Métis, Inuit, like I could go on. <laughs> there's just so many nations here. Um, and it, it, it really makes the work we do really fun to learn about everyone's everyone's different cultures. Well, that's great. And it's one of the reasons why I wanted to talk to you because you just work with so many people in so many different contexts. I mean, obviously there's so 
few people that were all focused in a very particular area. You, you know, most of the time someone might be focused on, you know, governance, someone might be focused on law, someone, but when you work with youth, you're really just dealing with all different nations, all different issues. And in an urban context, it's something that I find is so desperately needed because we can't just make the assumption that everybody is in a community and is grounded in a community and has all of those community supports and in massive cities like Toronto, Montreal, Vancouver, you know, Ottawa, all of these places, you could get lost in the mix. I mean, is that one of the reasons why you decided to focus on finding a way to bring Indigenous youth together? Yeah, 100%. Because I was I was an Indigenous youth, you know, and I was so far from my community, like thousands of kilometers away from Fishing Lake. And I, I definitely got lost over here. Um, it was really, really hard to live over here so far away. Like, you know, just your your lifelines are so few and far between. Um, you know, and like I, I I often tell this to people that like I barely survived living out here as a Métis person, um, and so that's like that's why we really did create a seven G is to create like a, not more than just a lifeline, but a community, a space where people feel like they can not only survive, but also thrive and be proud of who they are and not feel like they're alone or isolated in this, this really cold city at times. And um, yeah, like I remember growing up and I always knew I was like, you know, like back in the day, people just say like, I'm native. And yeah. like, I always, I always knew that about myself. I knew that we were Métis and people also knew that about me too. Um, it, even though like I'm, I'm white looking or, or light skinned, people always knew I wasn't, I wasn't necessarily white. They weren't sure what I was, <laughs> but they knew I wasn't white. And, you know, that, that really impacted how I grew up and, and how I had to live my life and the opportunities I was given. And so kind of being native in this urban environment, you end up in really, really risky situations, life-threatening situations. At least that was my experience. Um, you know, I, I lived in Vanier. <laughs> we call it Vanier First Nations mm -hmm. because that's where like a lot of us end up when we move to Ottawa because the the rent is so cheap over there and there's so many indigenous organizations that are kind of just centralized there. Um, but, but it was really hard living over there. And, um, you know, I got involved in so many scary situations and I had no one to turn to, you know, and so that's, that's why we created A7G. Like I, I really, I don't believe that Indigenous youth should feel like they're alone. I don't believe that they should feel like they have to live their life like that in fear or in poverty. Um, and so we really, I really created it. Um, like my purpose in it all was to just make sure that youth didn't grow up the way I grew up. And so that's why we're, we're so passionate about sharing opportunities, sharing resources, you know, I kind of like, don't really like the word like mentorship. Yeah. Um, just because like, I really want people to go into who they are and live how they want to live. But we definitely <laughs> show a lot of like, like, I'm definitely like an auntie to a lot of the youth. And some of them will even call me like their second mom and like oh, and stuff like that. So, you know, that's that's what I would have needed when I was a youth. And and so here we are. <laughs> I really appreciate how, you know, you can be involved when you are a youth and have difficulties and struggles and challenges. And then you here you are, you know, as an adult saying, well, I need to actually find a way so that my brothers and sisters and thousands of cousins that we have across Turtle Island don't have to suffer some of those because they're not just like job inconveniences or th these are like life and death situations. 
So could you tell us a little bit about what does AG7 do? Is it like a friendship center? Do people gather together? What does AG7 mean? Just assume that, you know, some of the listeners won't know what it's about. Right. So A7G is short for Assembly of Seven Generations. Um, and so we really came together during the winter of Idle No More. Um, and, you know, we saw a lot of movement and, you know, there was a lot of like the spark that was lit for so many people, including myself. And the one thing we noticed is that there wasn't really like a platform for Indigenous youth to um, share their concerns or their needs or, or things like that. And so that's that's kind of like we created this 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 space so that youth could speak their minds, that youth could, you know, be proud of who they are. And just that alone created so many other things. <laughs> and so, you know, we don't have core funding. We didn't, like, no one was like, hey, you guys are really cool. I'm going to give you a grant. <laughs> like, that never <laughs> happened. We just were like, we're going to do this because we believe in it. You know, we believe in our ceremonies and the healing that we've had the privilege of having. And we want to share it you know, and other youth at the time, like this was when I was also a youth, I, I started ACE, like I helped start A7G. Um, and, uh, you know, we stuck with it. We didn't have, we barely had any money to pay for like pizza, you know, and, and luckily some folks donated space to us and they believed in us. And it, it was indigenous aunties and, and cookums that believed in us. And, you know, they gave us the space. And so, Almost four years ago, that's when we started our first Friday night drop-in for A7G. And it was just like our friends at the time or, or people that we knew. And we said, hey, do you want to come out on Friday night and eat some, eat some food together, play some card games, just hang out and, you know, create a space for each other. And, and folks showed up. There was like maybe six of us, you know, and then we just were like, okay, we're going to keep doing this. And we've met every single Friday since March of 2018 or 2019. Wow. And um, yeah, we've never missed a Friday. Uh, like one time there was a tornado in Ottawa and we still met. Oh my goodness, even during yeah. the pandemic. Yeah, even during the pandemic, wow. you know, we went right online. And um, it's been really interesting, too, to see how the pandemic has changed things. So I, I find that there's kind of like a group that likes to do things online. And then there's a group that likes to be in person. Yeah. And so it's it's been really nice to create that space for both folks. Um, there's a lot of social anxiety that um, Indigenous youth have. And so sometimes it's hard to come out to things in person or even even on the computer. Um, but we try to create that space where like, you know, you don't have to talk, you don't have to do anything. You could just chill. No one's gonna judge you. And then sure enough, like that, that person will stick around and they might just be, you know, just chilling there, not saying anything. And then all of a sudden, you know, they're in our sharing circle because we do a sharing circle every Friday night and they just open up and it's, it's so beautiful to see when folks finally open up and um, our Friday nights are fun. They're a lot of fun, like people laughing and eating and, you know, sometimes we'll have some some roundies or some drum circles and have some like really beautiful moments like that. But at the same time, sometimes Friday nights are hard because that's the reality of Indigenous youth. You know, it, it's not just all unicorns and rainbows. It's the same struggles that I went through, you know, those same struggles that I was mentioning earlier. And um, there's a lot of mental health issues. You know, suicide comes up a lot. And um, that's what we have to do as a community is we have to be there for the fun times and the laughter, but we 100% have to be there for the hard times. And so, you know, that's that's such a big burden on us because 
no one gets paid to be there on Friday nights. Like I said, we don't have core funding or anything, but yet we're the ones who continue to carry this burden of reconciliation. You know, no one's supporting us except for the community. We get a lot of mutual aid, which is really, really cool. Um, but we're still carrying the trauma of residential schools and the 60 scoop and all these things, you know, on our own. So anyways, that's like, that's A7G a little bit, like, that's kind of like what we do every Friday, but there's like so many things we do. Just have a support, just to know that there's a support network. I mean, there's a ton of different Indigenous organizations across the country in different areas, depending on where you live, that offer different services. Sometimes there's specific services. Sometimes it might just only be doing Indigenous employment. So that may or may not be what an Indigenous youth needs at the time. Or sometimes it might be a, a shelter, but that might not be what an Indigenous youth needs. Just literally what you're saying, a, a group of people to hang out with, you don't have to do anything. You know, there's some kind of supports. I'm assuming that if someone was in trouble, they could say to you, uh, help. Do you know where I get assistance doing X, Y, and Z? I mean, you must get a lot of requests for... How do you help me with whatever resource it is that they need? Yeah, 100%. It's it's like everything you could think of. Um, everything from mental health crisis to um, helping folks out of violent situations, domestic abuse, helping folks find housing. Um, like, Oh my gosh, the the realities that Indigenous youth are living in are just so, so wild and so unfair. Um, but yeah, and then, you know, kind of like on the other side of the spectrum, it's like dating advice <laughs> or like, oh, how, how do I tell my parents that I'm gay? You know, and, and a lot of, we've created such a great space that folks come out in our circles, you know, and they feel safe to do that. And um, they feel like people will support them in those, in those spaces. Um, so it's, yeah, it's literally anything you could think of. The, the part about jobs, like I find there's a lot of focus on getting Indigenous youth employed by like funders and the government. But honestly, that barely comes up <laughs> maybe it's because there's so many good supports out there but it's 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 something that doesn't come up that often um but we've definitely had to like help folks write resumes <laughs> um and connect folks to like employment services but uh i think um one of the really beautiful things that we don't talk about um is like that connection to land you know, like you don't you don't hear it in in mainstream conversations at all, but that converse that that connection to land is so so important, and you lose it so easily in in the city. You know, there's concrete everywhere. Like just that concrete alone separates you from the land. You know, and then there's so so few places you can go and just be. Um, just be in a quiet space and listen, listen to the world around you. So we really try to focus on that too. Um, and we've, we've done some really awesome things during the pandemic because being outside is probably one of the safe, safest places you can be in this pandemic. Um, so we've gone out for walks, we've gone out and done some camping. We've also gone out and done like harvesting and berry picking and looking at medicines and learning how to harvest medicines in a good way. And then we've also done like hide camps and we actually have one coming up this week that I can't wait to go and just focus on the moose hides because things are just so, so hard lately. And um, all these, all these things we do with the land, you know, it's so healing. Like there's so much you learn from the land like just about medicine picking alone, you know, medicine picking teaches you how to do things slowly and not over consume or take more than you need. And so by connecting to the land, we're also combating, you know, colonization and capitalism 
and remembering our old ways of doing things. Well, it's it's like you're filling this much needed gap because not every youth comes from has a family. They could be, you know, living in precarious situations. They could be disconnected from family for whatever reason. And like, who do you talk to about these so personal issues or urgent issues or safety issues or so especially in a city like Ottawa or you know any major city where a lot of people come to these cities urban areas there's a lot of obviously like you mentioned you know hidden and not so hidden dangers for indigenous peoples in general but think about indigenous youth especially so this just sounds amazing and when you go through your website um it also says that you are a youth organization created by youth dedicated to youth but also with some elder guidance. So can you talk about that a little bit, like how you're connecting those generations together? Yeah, for sure. It's definitely been really hard during the pandemic, a lot harder than it used to be. Um, but before the pandemic, we were doing things like um, elder and youth gatherings. And so we would just bring a bunch of youth and, you know, like elders together. And then they just, talk and so some we also would do like um kind of like a panel situation where there would just be youth and then on the other side on another panel would be more like elders or an elder sharing a, doing storytelling and um one of the really awesome things we did at our last elders and youth gathering is we um honored all of the cookums that work with us um, so there was actually seven cookums and then we, we made blankets for them all and gave them really nice gifts. And, you know, we, we had an honor song for them and we talked about all the things that they do for A7G. And when we say elders, a lot of it, we're not just talking about like an elder that comes for like an opening prayer and then leaves. We're talking about elders that like literally just spend time with us. Kind of like that, what I was talking about earlier, how folks just show up and they just hang out. Sometimes elders show up at our, our Friday nights and they just sit there and watch us and, <laughs> you know, and then they'll like pull us over and be like, wow, I really love like all the things you guys are doing. Aww. And, you know, it, it's that kind of relationship. Um, and I, I, I'm so concerned about the type of like elder youth relationship that's created in institutions right now. You know, it does create this like, oh, an elder will come in and then they'll do a prayer and then they'll leave. But you know, if our relationships with our elders were like that, like I wouldn't be the person I am. You know, my my relationship with my cookum, um, it was like spending time together. You know, and like Christy Belcourt always talks about like having tea together, like literally mm -hmm. just sitting down and having tea. And um, I remember like a few years ago, we were really like, we really wanted to make those relationships stronger with between elders and youth. And um, I actually asked Christy about that. I was like, how do you think we could do that? And she said, um, she said, you know, don't like romanticize it. Don't make it into this big, like, like show, mm -hmm. but literally like ask the elders you work with, like, hey, do you need any help this weekend? You know, could I help like shovel the snow, like could we just hang out and have some food together and like no expectations, you know? And so that's what we, we've we done. And um, yeah, I have, <laughs> like we have like this one elder that just loves decorating for like special occasions. And so like on Halloween, she just like decorated this whole like gym. <laughs> like, of course, like the youth helped her out, but <laughs> that was her thing, you know, and that's what she wanted to do. <laughs> I like that, how it's not, it's not scripted. It's just the way we are in our families or communities. It's just chill. It's just hanging out sometimes. And of course, you know, Christy Belcourt for anyone who hasn't you know, doesn't know Christy Belcourt. She too is a, a Métis woman and a warrior and an advocate and a friend and 
and a sister and an auntie. Like she's literally this amazing artist. I mean, all these posters you see at youth rallies or protests or demonstrations, like, you know, it's probably going to be Christy Belcourt art. So um, she's a fantastic person to have as, you know, a friend and an auntie in all of this. And I guess, you know, like listening to you speak and, and, how you're doing everything just so natural and organic and unscripted, just like as, as if we were in a real, like a, a family where things aren't scripted. How did you get into this? How did you get into the youth movement, youth advocacy? I mean, wh what drew you to what it is you do today? Yeah, like it, it's really just wanting better for the youth, you know, you know, wanting better for them than what I had. Um, and so I think it was in the early, like maybe 2009 or so, I actually went into university and <laughs> like growing up how I did, I never in a million years thought I would be in university. I never thought I was intelligent enough and I didn't think that I ever had enough money, you know, and that's, that's kind of the messaging I had received my whole life. But I got into university and I actually got into this like um, this indigenous support program. And I had this really awesome professor and um, he passed away now. It's uh, Norman Gull, but uh, he really helped me out. He really like helped me understand, understand things. Um, and, you know, when I was growing up, like I knew I was native and that's how I kind of identified. But... I didn't understand what colonization was. I didn't understand like why my family had some of the, you know, some of the trauma that we had. I, I actually thought it was because we were native, you know, and that's, that's the messaging again that some of us receive. So he, he began to teach me about colonization and, you know, began to teach us about the traumas and where they really came from and that there's nothing wrong with us as Indigenous peoples. You know, we're, we're very beautiful people. But what is wrong is how we've been treated by this country, by the state. Um, and then I ended up doing a summer internship with the uh, Aboriginal Healing Foundation. And so that began, like my journey of really understanding my family's trauma through residential schools, through industrial schools, through day schools um, and convents and all of these places that tried so hard to remove, to remove us from our homelands and to remove our, our cultures and languages from us. And it was a really hard journey at first because my family would just say things like, oh, you know, that's just how it was. That's just the way it is, you know, but I kept pushing and I have a few other cousins, you know, that continued the, that conversation too and kept pushing that conversation. Um, and so, yeah, that's really how I got into things. And then I don't know more happened. And I was like, oh my God, <laughs> I just, that was such like a, a big moment for me. I don't know more. It just, yeah, it was so beautiful. It was so empowering. And like, I remember, I remember walking with you in the snow. Oh, awesome. <laughs> and like, <laughs> the snow was like up to our knees and we didn't care. We're like, we're getting this message out. And it was really, really beautiful times. And, you know, I, I just, I just want to share that with the young people. Yeah. Like, you know, you're beautiful, you're valuable, you're amazing. And, you know, you should be really proud of who you are and who your family is. Yeah, exactly. Well, I wondered if Idle No More had a little bit of a role in that too, because, you know, I think no matter what your age was, what your background was, whether you were even into Indigenous politics or issues at all, it was Idle No More seemed to capture the spirit and energy of everyone it was organic there was no president of idol no more there was no organization it was literally everybody doing what felt right for them all across the country in the united states around the world i mean it was sustained hope love energy culture singing drumming it was 
I think to me still one of the most profound times in my lifetime. And I, you know, I had always hoped that there were, because there were so many youth that were involved in it too, whether all of the youth who were involved in Idle No More were inspired to stay in it and stay active. And everything that I've seen, all the familiar faces I saw from Idle No More all across the country, I still see them now acting in some kind of role or capacity as volunteers or in their governments or, you know, art, music, you name it, they've continued on. So it wasn't just like a flash in the pan. Idol No More has continued. And just like you, you know, it's like I remember, you know, walking with youth and listening to youth and just how inspired people were. Despite all of the hurt and trauma, it was like us coming together. And so I think of like your assembly of seven generations. It's like, despite all of the hurt and trauma, there's like beauty and inspiration and hope in just the coming together of people. And I mean, you must be inspired when you see youth still coming together, that it wasn't just a something that happened for a couple of weeks or just for a year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 100%. Like, um, it, it's like, it's really hard to, to organize sometimes. <laughs> It's like really hard to be like a quote unquote like activist. Um, but you know, you you it's because you have to like hold a lot of responsibility. And um as like an indigenous organizer of these kind of spaces, you know, people are any little thing that goes wrong in a march or a rally or an action, like you're responsible. You know, you're responsible for doing things in a good way. And so, you know, I, I continue to to help out in any capacity I can. And and folks reach out to me quite a bit <clears throat> to help out with different things. And so, you know, a lot of the movement happened around what's so in. And um, again, there was those actions. And it was young people that I never met before and they were ready you know they they were like we're gonna do this we want to do things in a good way we're gonna do these actions and i just went out and supported them and uh that same it was like that same fire again as idol no more and it was really beautiful to witness and i remember even having more support during what soden than idol no more in terms of like non-indigenous the non-indigenous population and that was so beautiful to see um we did some like ground dances at, at some of the intersections in ottawa and um just so many people came out to support us and you know they really they really wanted to support indigenous peoples and i didn't think that i would ever see that in my lifetime um that support from non-indigenous people like that but it, it was there and I remember like crying at a, at a few moments. I was like, wow, like people actually believe in us and support us and wanna see justice for indigenous peoples. Um, so yeah, like it it kind of like comes in waves, eh? Yeah, yeah. Like it's it like, it's like we needed that during that time in Idol No More to really lift us all up. And then again, like, you know, it came, it came a few years ago and, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's really it's awesome. Amazing. And the thing I like about the wave is, so some people think of it as a pendulum. We're active or we're not. But that's not actually a true expression of our resistance. Our waves have been, you know, here we are, and then it goes down a little bit. But then you're caught, and then the next wave is, but you go down a little bit. But do you notice like the wave just keeps getting stronger and stronger and stronger, whereas a pendulum is you're active or you're not? It's like Mm -hmm. each wave inspires new people, new generations, and it's infectious. I mean, did you ever think we'd come to a time when it's the Canadian public calling on Canada to end the violence of the RCMP against the Wet'suwet'en or to put so much public pressure on the Minister of Fisheries and Oceans for them to actually stop all of the racist violence against Mi'kmaq fishers? Like, We never got any attention for that, you know, 20, 30 years ago. And now Canadians push and they have such big numbers. 
and they have so much influence in their own spheres that that's actually very effective. But what I like about it, it is still grounded and led by Indigenous peoples and Indigenous youth. And I have to tell you, Gabby, because you're one of the people that inspire me. We often look to, you know, um, what's happened in the past you know, and great leaders of the past and things that they've done. And I still very much do that. Or, you know, I look at, you know, who are, is out there doing the land defense and all of that stuff now. But if there wasn't also the next generation coming up, that would be devastating. So in all of the celebration of what's going on now, seeing that there's youth still on the front lines, that they're still gathering, that they're still talking, that they're being more and more empowered, that they're, be, they're leaders in and of themselves right now, not in the future. It's, that's the hope right there. Because what, you know, we could have a million land defenders right now, but if the next generation isn't interested or not involved, we'd be in a lot of trouble. And I mean, that's, I don't know if the, all of the youth that you work with know just how significant they are in this revolution of the heart, you know, the revolution that is protecting people and protecting the planet. Do you, do you get a sense that they're really aware how much we really need them? Oh, that's a good question. I'm not sure. Yeah, like I, I think that they're really driven to see justice. And when I say that, I, I don't mean just justice for Indigenous peoples. Like, you know, they want to see justice for Black folks, for Palestinian folks, for Two-Spirit folks, for trans folks, for LGBTQ2S plus folks. You know, they want to see justice for everyone. They, they really want to live in a world free of violence, free of oppression. And so that's what they're really passionate about. And honestly, a lot of them, I don't even think that they want like the clout or the, I don't know, that mm -hmm. kind of like glory, because mm -hmm. I actually believe that sometimes that glory or like, um, like focus or, or putting folks on a pedestal can actually really deter a movement and take away from a movement. So I think they also, a lot of them recognize that too, which is really, really cool to see. Um, and, you know, I, I really also believe that, you know, movements aren't just marches and, and actions and rallies. Like that's like maybe 5% of the work. But the real work is sustaining communities, ensuring folks are safe, you know, revitalizing our cultures and and ways that we lived free of colonization and capitalism and restoring those old practices. And, you know, you can't stand on the front lines with people you don't trust or have relationships with. Um, and so building those relationships and trust and also building movements that don't uphold predators or abusers is so, so important to sustain the movements. And um, that's something we did when we were, were doing a lot of work around Wet'suwet'en is we created community guidelines for everyone that was involved. Um, and uh, when there was someone that was trying to creep in that's like a known abuser, we would have allies and, and men that would literally step up and, you know, make sure that that person wasn't close to the people that they abused or that they didn't, they weren't in an opportunity to abuse more people. So, you know, that, that part of creating movements and communities is, is so underrated. Yes. And it's not talked about enough, but that's that's really what a lot of the work we do is. Which is so important. If you think about uh, everything out there, everything related to generations of genocide, ongoing colonization, violence, exploitation, and that's by governments, industry, and society. And then think about within our own communities, inside and outside of our communities, the impacts that we've had and the trauma and how sometimes that repeats trauma for youth it's definitely an issue it's one of those things like you said it doesn't get talked about it's not advertised we don't talk about it enough frankly we tend to try to handle it 
behind the scenes amongst one another. You know, you can text someone and say, hey, be careful. You know, there's an issue there. And we rely on one another to be this bigger community to keep each other safe. And I think that's such, such important work that you do. I mean, it's here we are advocating for the safety of Indigenous peoples. We have to make sure that in our advocacy, we're also safe. And that's not easy. I mean, there's some things that we simply can't control. There's a lot of, you know, haters and trolls and things out there. So sometimes it is better to be behind the scenes. And um, the kind of conversations that we've had is the stuff that you see out front is such a small percentage. Like you said, the, you know, demonstrations and all that small percent. There is so much fantastic work going on behind the scenes, laying the groundwork, you know, building each other up, helping our governments and communities, you know, fundraising, advocacy, all of that stuff, not all of it is public. And so they don't realize that for every, you know, little branch you see of activism, there's like massive forests and trees doing all of that work. And that's what each one of those youth are doing. And I just think that's so amazing. Um, one of the things I wanted to ask you about was your, you also are um, on your Twitter, you say you're a style blogger and it's on Instagram <laughs> at Indigis Style. And I've looked at some of your amazing pictures. Can you just talk a little bit about that? Cause that's some of the fun stuff that you do. You know, we have to have some balance in our lives too. <laughs> Yeah, I I'm uh, I love indigenous fashion. Like, and I like I feel like even indigenous fashion, like calling it that, is like so limiting. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but you know, like I love like beadwork. I love just indigenous artists and and folks, you know, creating beautiful things that that we can rock. And so, like for example, like of course, like I'm rocking Osa Masquasis. She's like this this real deadly um, like beater and just yeah. artist from uh, from Alberta. Um, she's Neheao. And then I got her earrings too. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, just like also the teachings within indigenous jewelry and fashion are so beautiful too. Um, and so indigenous style is just kind of like a place where I go and I look at different amazing work that folks are doing and I just share it <laughs> I like I don't actually make a lot of posts but I I do share a lot in the stories and I'll share when like someone has like a collection drop and you know folks get so excited when there's a new collection drop like you know for example like the beads knees like her their stuff gets sold out within like a few seconds <laughs> and so it's just like it's fun like I was even um you know I had like five alarms on for this one collection drop and it, it gets you excited and you know it, it's just it, you're right like it's something that you it's kind of like a break from all of this like all of this trauma and and wildness that's out there and then the other part I love too is just supporting indigenous folks. Like we we also don't talk enough about indigenous economy. Um, and so I don't necessarily think that we're we're there yet, but I would love to see how we can keep the dollar within indigenous people and indigenous communities. Um, Cause right now like, like definitely supporting indigenous businesses and, and designers and things like that. That's a way to support indigenous peoples, but the the dollar still keep state goes out of our communities eventually. And um, so anyways, that's like a whole other conversation that I'm really like interested to. Um, I think that, you know, we have to support one another. Um, I, I also think that I, I like to pay folks more than what they tell me. <laughs> like, of course, when I have the money. Um, and then that's, that's, that's like another interesting conversation that comes up too, is that a lot of like beadwork and, and things are really expensive, like for, for fair reasons, you know, the, the beaters and artists deserve um, and, and their work is so valuable, but how do we ensure that we're getting our 
our beadwork and our, our beautiful art pieces to indigenous youth who don't necessarily have access to money um, and the same resources? And how are we making sure that they don't just get stuck in the hands of of white folks that have the money <laughs> to buy these things. Um, so that's like a really important discussion that needs to happen. And I've seen a really cool um, approach from an Orthodox Yukon. So they're this really cool store in the Yukon. And um, sometimes what they'll do for collections is that they'll make it specifically for indigenous folks in the Yukon first. Um, so I really, yeah, I really like that approach. Um, one of the things I just love about your Instagram, it's literally just tons of pictures of work that's been done by hand of indigenous peoples, like so much beautiful beadwork and quill work and art and clothing. And it's just here comes celebrate everything that everybody is doing. And for me, then it becomes this, oh no, Instagram addiction. Cause I'm like, oh, I'd like to buy those. And I'd like to buy those. But one thing I did find is that during the pandemic, when lots of people were losing their jobs or being cut to part-time or they weren't able to work, they were supplementing their income, if not their entire income with all of the handiwork that they do that takes hours and hours and hours of work and real skill to do. And so I never barter on those things. It's like, if this, this is what this person thinks it's worth. To me, it's always worth double, I'm sure, for the time that it takes to be. And so I really like that you're helping to lift up other people and the work that they do because, you know, our, our advocacy and our resistance is often expressed through art. I mean, you know, you think about all of those images. And so it's just another way that you're helping to lift the voices of others. And I really appreciate everything that you do, uh, Gabby. So here's a question that I have. What, what can Canadians do to support you? So anyone who's listening or watching this YouTube, what can they do to support you know, you personally or the Assembly of Seven Generations really continue the good work that they're doing? Uh, is there like fundraising? Is there other kind of supports we can do? Yeah, like fundraising is always really helpful. Um, we we really rely off of of those small contributions, and so sometimes like folks will just be able to donate ten dollars, <laughs> and that's fine, you know. And I actually really love those moments when I see like a ten dollar donation because I know that that person probably, you know, is limited on funds, but they just love A7G so much. They're like willing to donate, you know, whatever, whatever they can. Um, and so that means more to me than, you know, like a huge <laughs> corporate donation. It's like the, the people, the people really just supporting us. And, you know, we get a lot of folks that share our events and, and what we're doing. And so we don't, we don't necessarily have to pay for Facebook ads and, and Instagram ads and those kind of things. And that really is very meaningful to us, too, um, that we don't need to have like a huge like marketing budget to do the work we do. Um, and so just those organic ways of, of engaging and, and participating and sharing, I think, go a long way. And then um, I think just continuing your education, like as a Canadian, like really understanding your privileges and um, when to use your privileges to support Indigenous people is so important. Like I can't stress it enough, um, you know, and, and within the last, within this, over this weekend, you know, we've seen a lot of hate symbols and white supremacy coming out of the, the convoy. Um, and there hasn't been enough Canadians that are speaking out about it. It's BIPOC, it's Indigenous, Black, and people of color that, again, have to educate Canadians on why this is hurtful, you know, and that's just not fair. So when if Canadians can, like, educate themselves a little bit more, like, <laughs> that'll be really helpful. Yeah. You know, I just don't got time to be explaining why yeah. these symbols are are so there and it's not just hurtful it's it's like a it's a threat 
to mm-hmm. my existence, to our existence. And, you know, I just don't got time to explain to every single person. <laughs> exactly. And and I think what I love most about everything you've ever done is it's never just been about education for information's sake. It's education for action. So you know, do take up that responsibility to self-educate as best you can, find out what's going on, why it's going on, what the solutions are we've said, and then be part of actually making that come to fruition. You know, and like you said, it can be donations. There's lots of people who have the ability to make donations, but also sharing all of this stuff on social media, helping to trigger the algorithm so that it gets seen by more people who wouldn't necessarily see it. There's a million different ways that we can support. And I'll do my best to make sure to to post the links so that people can find your donation button and everything about your website, share obviously on, on social media. Um, thank you, Gabby, for everything you've ever done, everything you continue to do, and how you inspire everybody, not just youth, but everybody, those, those of us who, you know, look at you and what you're doing with nothing. We know there's lots of well-funded organizations, uh, but here you are basically just based on your spirit and love and compassion and sense of community for everything. I can't thank you enough for what you do because that could be my son that needs those services someday. That could be my grandkids. That could be my cousins. You never know. And we're all related. So what you're doing is really just protecting us as one big family. And I can't thank you enough for that, Gabby. Uh, <laughs> thanks so much. I I really appreciate those words. It's it's um this work is so unrewarding. <laughs> like, no, I don't mean like like yeah. I don't feel good about this work, but it's just you don't you don't get that that recognition mm-hmm. or you don't get those words sometimes. And so every time like someone shares like really kind words like that, it it really helps out and like gives you that like extra push and just like reassurance that you're you're doing you're on the right path. And oh, um, oh my gosh. So, <laughs> <laughs> I really appreciate it. Well, thank you. I'm I'm glad. And it goes both ways. You know, the way I see you lift up everybody else, sometimes that makes all the difference, you know, just to stay focused and, and hopeful. And, and thank you again. And thank you to all the listeners and to the viewers for staying tuned to the Warrior Life podcast, for hearing these voices, taking part in being educated about these issues. But don't forget, you know, Gabby's mission here is also take action, whatever that action is. Don't forget to take action on every single voice that you hear, every single issue. I'll make sure to post all of the links in the video description box, in the podcast description box, and we can do it. And don't forget to support Indigenous content creators and Indigenous artists, whether it's on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, podcasts, you name it. Find people to support because that helps us help you with the education process and making the world better for everybody. And don't forget, till next time, keep living a warrior life. Walaliug.